It's Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. Then they passed through Poseida and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Melissa. It is good to be back. Uh, Some of you may not know I was gone, so you weren't here last Sunday either. Um, It's really kind of interesting, though, because I had a number of people say to me, where have you been? Like, I was gone one week. And it's not like you didn't love Drew's preaching, but it was like, where have you been? So I, I feel like that that's an open invitation for me to say the same, should you not be here some Sunday. Uh, or maybe even a Wednesday evening. So what's going to start happening, since at least seven of you, Gary Gardner is the one that was, I think, the most, hey, where have you been? And so um, I'll be looking for him at everything that we do now and then sending texts. Uh, and I'm more than glad to put you on that list. Uh, again, it was, it, was, it was good to be away. I was, I was blessed to have the opportunity to preach If you've driven from Joplin to uh, St. Louis, I-44, mile marker 118, probably not gone to the right at that mile marker. There's a big candy store right there on the corner. And you just go back, I I wouldn't even say a mile, and there is a place there that the saints gather called Phillipsburg Christian Church. And a friend of mine from college, Matt, is there, and his wife, Nikki, And I'm just grateful for the ministry of that place. Second time I've had an opportunity to preach the gospel there. And it was good. I I say it was good to be with this, you know, small church. There's still 300 believers in probably a town of 50. Uh, People coming from everywhere to come to this place to hear uh, the truth about Jesus Christ proclaimed. And it's the second time I've had a chance to to preach there. Um, you got to say this word right, no matter where you're from. I was preaching a revival revival. <laughs> and I listen, I mean, I love Oklahoma. And I was, I was, I was kind of joking around. I was, I was trying, here's what I was trying to say. I was trying to point out that in Oklahoma, like we're down to earth people and we just kind of, you know, just kind of say it the way it would be more naturally being said. That's what I was trying to get across. Poorly communicated. I said, it's like they say down in Oklahoma where I'm from, I done did get saved. And I had a lady come up to me afterwards, and she said, "Uh, excuse me, I am from Oklahoma, and we don't talk like that. (laughs) And I just went, whoa, 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 okay, listen, I really didn't mean to offend, I love Oklahoma, I don't don't even make Oklahoma jokes. Uh, But anyway, it was a blessing to be down there, and it's also a blessing to be back. And I can see how even God times it, in terms of like the, the, the coordinating of these events, so that I could be with some saints in another part of the country and celebrate with them the goodness of God and celebrate with them what God has done and then to come back and to say, hey, thanks. Um, Thanks even for, some of you knew where I was going and thanks for praying. And we don't talk like this. The Bible does, but we don't talk like this. Like the saints in Phillipsburg send you greetings. That there there is is an old lady 
older lady that lives there. I mean, it's such a negative statement, but it's not actually a negative statement at all. She's this sweet, older saint. She's 86. She, wants, she come and told me, I'm the oldest person in this church. And she just loves Jesus. And not only that, but um, Glenna makes the most incredible oatmeal cake I've ever had. And she gave me the recipe. And so I'm really actually excited about this. She said, no, you can't share this with anybody. And so I won't, except for those people I love. And I will gladly, um, once Andrea figures out how to cook it, I'll gladly share it with you. I doubt if I'm gifted enough to do it. It takes someone of, of greater skills. But um, got an opportunity to just gather with the saints and eat oatmeal cake and uh, coconut cream. It was a dessert. It wasn't as good as Joe Ogle's coconut cream pie. I got into an argument with, uh, with a bunch of people at my table, and they said, she makes the best uh, coconut cream, but it was like in this big, huge pan. And I just said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but the best coconut cream pie is in Stillwater, Oklahoma. <laughs> that's just what you do. That's, weirdly enough, like that's church. How many of you, when I'm telling that story, you kind of go back to like an earlier time when you went to a church like that, right? Isn't that interesting? Really hoping that that's what the book of Acts is doing for you. That you're able to see the world, places that we go, and more importantly, places to where we have been sent. In a way that recognizes who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, the spirit that he has now given to us, and then the engagement of the Spirit on the people of God so that they go out and are salt and light. Where? In the world in which we live, meaning the communities in which we live, like the neighborhoods in which we live and the places where we work. And then from there, all the way to the ends of the earth. This is the story of the book of Acts. That the church, wherever it goes, is naturally and intentionally salt and light. And we're in a situation where we are waiting with an expectation and a receptivity to the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Like that can't just be for people who move to Japan. Like that can't just be for people who go all the way to Spain. And that can't just be for youth pastors. Like that, in, in some sense, listen, in some sense, I get it. I'm not trying to say that there aren't different kinds of callings. I get that. I just, I don't see the Bible saying anywhere that the mission of boldly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has done in our lives is somehow restricted to a certain class or segment of the church. It seems to be something that all of the church is aware of and that all of the church is engaged in and that all of the church is receptive to. Again, I have no desire to try to guilt you into another part of the world, or even across the street for that matter. That's not my job. It's not my responsibility. But it is my responsibility, and when I say that, I just mean as the one speaking today, to boldly and accurately read this text from Acts 14 and begin to apply it as best we can to our lives so that we can be God's people today just like the early church was back then. And that's our goal today. 
is to allow the teaching of the text to boldly shape our understanding of who God is and who we are and what it is that God is about to have us do. Um, The church should always have a degree of anticipation in it, should it not? That the Holy Spirit, not that it might move, but that it is moving and that it is like speaking to the church still today. Doesn't mean we all have to go to Ghana, but it does mean that we all have to be looking for and responding to the Spirit as it moves. Our text today that's not going to appear on the screen is Acts chapter 14. It's not the only text that we're looking at, but actually I want you to begin in Acts chapter 13. One of our goals in going through a Bible book, like we don't just, we don't just pick a, a, a topical series. We do sometimes, but ordinarily we go through Bible books. And why? Part of it is so that the saints that are here regularly have a better and a deeper appreciation for how God's word has been given to us. And, and one of those goals that, that I really do have, that we have as a teaching team for you, is that when you hear about Acts 13 or 14, or you hear about Paul's journeys, right, whether they're the first or the second or his final journey to Rome or whatever, that you have an idea of where to go. Not, not, not so that you can be smarter, but so that you would know where to go. And Acts 13 and 14 are, are known popularly as Paul's first missionary journey, well, Luke doesn't really like count them necessarily. He talks about the Spirit coming upon Philip and sending him. He talks about um, the Spirit, God giving a vision to Peter and sending him to the Gentiles. So it talks like that, and that's what we actually see in Acts 13. We actually see the Holy Spirit coming upon the church in a particular context and then calling them to do something. And the reason why Lots of different groups of people or individuals this this phrase has been attributed to, but the one I want to kind of begin with today is this statement attributed to or about the devil. The devil's work is never done. The enemy's work is never done. Drew preached a message last week describing the the oppression and the the, the persecution, the, the barriers that come that we should even expect when we are faithfully living out the gospel. So you just can't help but realize that one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul, as he sets out on this journey, is at some level aware that it's going to be difficult is because that whenever anyone speaks about God in a world that is in rebellion against God, yeah, those two things don't mesh. That's what Paul was even told when he was converted. Remember this? The, the, the man that baptizes Paul is told by the Lord himself, and I will show this man how much, speaking of Paul, I will show this man how much he must suffer for my name. And it wasn't because God didn't love him or somehow Paul was going to get a bunch of it wrong and so God was going to try to steer him the right way. Actually, no. The, the Bible actually says that at that conversion experience, Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you fighting against, literally, why are you kicking against the goads is one of the translations. And it's that guiding thing that always keeps an animal in, in line and in direction. And what Jesus is saying to, to, to Saul at the time is Saul's pushing against it. Like he doesn't want to go where Jesus is leading him or God is leading him. Okay, now once I'm going where you want me to go, 
How's it going to go for me? Oh, it's, it's probably going to, it's going to be, it's going to be worse in the short term, but great in the long term. And that's what we're wrestling with today is the continuation of that tension that exists. Because the devil's work is never done. And so wherever the gospel is preached, the enemy tries to sow weeds. That wherever someone believes in God's grace, someone sows distrust. Wherever there is an opportunity for people to receive and then to give, there's always takers. And it just seems like the devil's work is never done. But again, we could probably attribute that to a lot of things, a lot of individuals, a lot of groups of people. Um, the Lord's work is never done. God creates the world and it rebels against him. And the Lord actually is described as, as working, doing great work and continually, like literally the work of the church is the work of God. He's the one that calls us. He is the one that sends us. He is the one that directs us. This isn't a group of individuals, really talented people that are going to develop a strategic plan for growth and development through just understanding our culture and times and going through the process of SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats, and then coming up with a great plan to move forward in which we can't... Uh, nothing against that. I'm not even saying that churches couldn't benefit from having a better understanding of some of those ideas, but like that at the core of who we are, when you cut us, we don't cut plan we don't we don't bleed planning. We don't we don't bleed great insight. We bleed mission. For the Spirit is the one calling, sending, and empowering giving us the strength to continue and the insight about how this opposition will ultimately be used by God for the refinement of faith and even the warning against those who are opposing. So Paul talks about it. And so the Apostle Paul is now coming home. But before he can come home, he's going to reflect back on the fact that he was sent. So Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, here is how that first missionary journey begins from the city of Antioch. This is how it begins. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So th this is what's interesting. Um, why is it that we, we, we fail to just even recognize the, 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 the power or the importance of an occasion like this? It's the danger of kind of looking at the clock. It's the danger of, of scheduling God's instruction to you at a certain time of life or a certain time of week or a certain season of life. No, the, the Holy Spirit comes, number one, like the wind, it, it, wherever it wants, whenever it wants, it just blows as it chooses. This is a pretty common theme, though. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Work. I called. Key words in that text. I have a work for them. Because although the devil's work is never done, God's work 
will always undo the devil's work. And so I want you to, to send them out. And so verse 3, after then fasting and praying, because they were already worshiping and fasting, so what do we do when the Holy Spirit says? Well, we continue to pray and to fast. Then after a time of fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, commissioned them, and then sent them off to the Lord's work. And in the book of Acts, we've already seen it make a little bit of a jump geographically from Judea or Jerusalem up into the northern area of Samaria. It's as far as Antioch in Syria, the sending area that Paul and Barnabas are going to be leaving from. But now it's, it's literally going into what we know as modern-day Turkey, which is known as, as Asia Minor. Like it's headed in a completely different area where, sure, there are going to be large groups of Jewish people in most of the cities that we read about, like Ephesus. But it's a mostly Gentile world. And Saul and Barnabas are going to be sharing the news of the God of the Jews, who is really the God of all humans, who's... Messiah has come not just for the salvation of the Jews, but for the salvation of all people. And he is making for himself a new people. One people of many different races and many different backgrounds of, of all economic circumstances. And he is making them into a new people so that the God of the world might restore that which was broken. By redeeming it through the work of Jesus Christ. And that is the work that the Apostle Paul has been commissioned to fulfill. And so it's really kind of strange to believe that somehow that there could come a point in time in which the Apostle Paul could say, I'm done. Really? You're done? But, but, but Paul, I, I thought the devil's work is never done. Well, you know, it's, technically there will come a day when it'll be done, done. But I get what you mean by that statement. So therefore, the, the work of the Spirit is always done. So after you had preached in Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and after you had gone to all these places, like I noticed that you circled back. Drew pointed out last week that he, they actually circled back whenever they found that there was like growing adversity. And instead of running away from that, they seemed to lean into that because of their love for the saints there. Yeah, since the devil's work is never done, the Lord's work is never done, and the Lord will always call people to engage that activity. You realize how many of us, preaching to myself here, it is so easy for me to, um, to read or to watch something that's happening in culture and then to quickly come up with like an opinion about it and a response to it that I may or may not tweet I form a bunch of opinions and then I have lots of conversations about the mess that the world is in. Anybody else like me? That's what I do. And then I, 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 at some level, I, I can on, on a bad day just resign myself that it's just always going to be that way or probably worse. You don't, you don't get that idea or that opinion from the Bible. Now mind you, you do get the opinion that the world is a mess. But it's, it's a world that is a mess that God is calling his people to go out and then to actively engage. God is calling his people to actively engage in the work that he is sending them. 
across the street, around the world. It, it, it looks like something in a family. You know, when, when we brought her home, she just looked so innocent. But we knew that it would just be a matter of time before uh, she would grow up. She would begin to be aware that the world is a really like an ugly place, a dangerous place. And I guess we just never expected to have this kind of struggle with our daughter. Never really thought that it would come to this. And I remember when she was so innocent. And I remember when that began to change. And I remember being sad. And I remember being scared. And I remember being angry. But you're also equipped. You're, all, you're also actually been given by God the opportunity to engage this, this struggle. You've been actually sent by him to engage in situations like that. And I remember having a close friend and, man, we did everything together. And then just over time, I don't know what it was, maybe kind of just after college you lose touch and... It just seems like every time we connected, he was just a little further from the Lord, you know, just a little further from the Lord, just a little further from the Lord until now I'm, to say I'm concerned for where he's at with Jesus is an understatement. Most of us just kind of sit back and fold our arms. Maybe I should have said something. The Apostle Paul seems to look at the world to which the Holy Spirit is sending them as an opportunity for them to be faithful and then to actively engage this world. And opposition might come and difficulties are definitely going to be there, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit has called me and the Holy Spirit has sent me, so the Holy Spirit will enable me and the Holy Spirit will strengthen me and the Holy Spirit will give me courage and I will do this in the context of biblical community and I don't know if we're going to win. I don't even know what that necessarily means. But I do know this, that the church, when it is truly the church, actively engages this broken, crumbling, and I say the word world, but it's actually marriages. It's, it's friendships. It's not, it's not just the world. And they, each of them have a name. That's, that's what amazed me about Phillipsburg, Missouri. Like it's not, just, um, it's not just exit 118. It's a room full of people. And, and you know, I was there five years ago. I don't know why they didn't figure it out since then. Apostle Paul is now coming it to the end of the journey. Really? Are you done? Look at, look at. Jump to the end of the text that Melissa read with us. And there's some very kind of interesting and powerful words as, as Luke is describing the end of this journey. I think it's helpful for us to, um, to learn. Verses 24 through 26. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended 
to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Notice in verse 25, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, preachers like to make big deals about different words that are in the text. The word, when they had spoken the word, I, I, was, I was really hoping it was the word for like preach. You know, when Paul preached the word, because that's, that's an important word. Preach the word. That's not that word. Okay, how about the word like uh, evangelized? Paul evangelized. Paul spread the gospel. Different Greek word. But how about that word? Is it that? No, it's not that word. This really kind of is, uh, it, it sometimes is frustrating because I love when a word has all this power and it's got like this, this strength inside of it. Actually, this is just the word for uh, to say. Like it, it doesn't have a pulpit. <laughs> And it doesn't have like, you know, 9.30 on Sunday morning behind it. It's just, and he said. And I began to realize that, that so much of life and, and ministry is speaking the word. I, just, I, I love the, the, the simplicity of that. Like sometimes there's like this robust word for being sent. And then sometimes it's just they went, you know, because that's where they had to go. The Apostle Paul is coming at the end of this journey and he's, he's going back and he's looking at these cities and he, while he is there, is continuing to just speak the word. To tell who Jesus Christ is. And then they, they bypass Cyprus where everything had gone so well for them and they get straight to Antioch and it says this, and where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work to which they had been fulfilled, it's that word commended has got a little more teeth to it. It's it literally is describing like something that had been given to them. And too often in our faith, we don't really recognize that that what we are called to do is is that we have something. We we have something to give. Most of us don't think we do. Most of us go through our lives or engage other people as though we're empty-handed, but when we realize that when the Holy Spirit called us, he handed us this, and he commended us to the grace of God for a work to which I have called you. And maybe if we were to realize, instead of just, we need to find a really good shelf that we could put this on. I don't know, these things seem to work. Instead of recognizing there really is this is how the Apostle Paul describes it. He talks about in Ephesians 3 that, that God has entrusted me with this responsibility um, that I'm going to share with you. That's how he is coming to the end. Not of his life, and not even of his interactions with these people, but notice how it ends here, that he comes back, he reports everything that they have done, Everything that, and it says this, the, the last word in verse 26 says, fulfilled. The Apostle Paul seemed to say to the church, hey, I just want you to know, we did it. We did everything that God asked us to do. Interestingly enough, it sounds, it's not the same word, but it sounds a lot like what Jesus said on the cross. I did it. I finished it. The Apostle Paul says, and I was done. I did everything he called me to do. We don't, Christians, we don't live like that very well. 
Sometimes we just, ugh, always just feel the burden of never being done, kind of like the devil. I remember Scott Irwin helping me with this as he was hurting me with this. He was preaching a message about how we as parents, and I just sat there that morning as a parent, trying to love my children, and Scott was describing the the temptation and the danger of looking at my children's lives as a race, and then once they get out of high school, they cross this finish line. Scott said, don't think of of high school as a finish line, mom and dad. It's not. It's not a finish line. You can't look at it that way. And I remember feeling a sense of joy. Good, because there's a lot that I didn't get done. I remember there being a peace. Good, because there's a lot I need to undo. (laughs) And I remember there being like a burden. Oh, really? I got to do more? I would say in, in, there, in some respect, Andrew and I have done more parenting, it looks different, since our kids have left college, or sorry, left high school, left the home, than we did while they were with us in many ways. That's Paul coming to the end of this journey. We're done. Finish line? Oh no, not a finish line. You guys know what I'm talking about, Right? I guarantee you there are some of you out there that uh, your child's about to graduate from high school. So we can love high school graduations. They're about as, as good as a high school yearbook. They're trying, but it's not as insightful as you think. The best years of our lives. Sure, but you're 18. Right? We're going to remain best friends forever. And then you play like a Green Day song. Probably not even a Green Day song anymore. Probably some band I don't even know about. But they've got like the music and then the video and everyone's crying. And I think we may have changed the world. This is amazing. Right? You've been there. High school graduation. And, and truly like they, they, they treat it like it's this amazing finish line. Look at all that. I love hearing like this, the speeches. Look at all that we've accomplished. 18. I really don't mean that negatively. Like, I'm sure when you were 18, it seemed like you had accomplished a lot. I didn't realize I hadn't accomplished a lot until I was probably 19. (laughs) And then I began to look back, and I listen, I get it. I get that it seems like a lot. But it's not the ending line. There's so much more that needs to be done. You know, just wait a few years until it's college graduation when really you're at the end. (laughs) No, I've been to a lot of college graduations. Oh, the last four years, it's like we didn't learn anything from high school. The greatest years of our lives. We're not going to lose touch with each other forever. We're going to continue to be the best friends, you know, and you've got all this. I I get it. We're We're trying to, like, hold on to something. I get it. The Apostle Paul is here in this moment looking back and is that a finish line or a starting line? And and so many things in life are like this when God is involved. And then the answer can be, I love the beauty of this, yes. Like it doesn't say, and they came back and they told them everything they had done and everything that they didn't get finished. Right? It's not that. 
They came back and there seems to be this amazing celebration of what God has done and the open door that they had to the Gentiles and all the people that came to faith. And I'm sure they shared like names and obstacles and, and adversity and yet the church remained and the Holy Spirit was faithful and we did it, guys. We did it. You sent us and we went, now John Mark, he bailed on us. We'll come back and we'll deal with that one a little bit later. But Paul and Barnabas, like they stayed through the end. And they're so excited about that. And there is a deep sense of accomplishment at that moment. But let's remember what we accomplished. We were faithful to what the Holy Spirit had started. We were faithful to the work that the Lord had commended to us. And it was the word of his grace. Now there are new churches all throughout central modern day Turkey. That we have to now care for. So we're not done guys. In many ways there's a whole lot of work to get started. But now I'm just glad to be home. Isn't that how this feels? But now I'm just glad to be home. This is like that moment. Like in between high school graduation and college. This is that moment. Right in between College graduation, and you're starting work at that new firm in Houston. Congratulations. It's, it's that moment, you know, like when you come home and the wedding is over, but now we've got this packing or unpacking that we need to do, and we've got like the rest of our lives together. It's bringing a new baby home, and wow, glad to be done. Done? Yeah, kind of done, but not done. That's the joy that we find in the book of Acts and in faith. Kind of living between starting line and finishing line and starting line and finishing line and starting line and finishing line, starting line and finishing line, and then finishing line, only to start again when there's no finishing line. Apostle Paul is back in Antioch, and I think he's trying to figure out with, with the other believers this particular question. How, how do we make sure that those memories don't just end up in like some nostalgic photo album? How do, how do we make sure that the thoughts that we've had and those relationships that we've started... I guess what they're really trying to figure out is how, how do you ever say goodbye to people that you love? You ever wrestled with that? How do you say goodbye? I've been having some fun uh, meeting with some college students who are in the process of graduating or a few high school students actually that are getting ready to go start a new time in a new, totally new city. And they're trying to figure out like how they can make sure that they make the most of all of their goodbyes. And I can be that way. I am so guilty of driving my family crazy by trying to create these moments hey, now son, I just want to spend some time with you and let you know how much I love you and how much I care about you. And halfway through the speech, he's going, you done, Dad? I got to get going. Are you serious? I had a really important thing I wanted to share with you. And then you were going to tell me how much you love me and how I was always right and you were always wrong. And then, um, well, I mean, I'd love to do that. Can we do that later, though? I just, I got to get going. How do you say Goodbye. Well, we can actually read a few of Paul's letters to just realize the complexity of this. 
Um, Again, you have your Bibles because the screens are down, so I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. This really gives us some insight to what life was like after the journey had completed. It's that moment where, hey, did you hear the Martins are back from Japan and that time is done? Okay, now what? Um, Jake and Aaron Moore are back. (laughs) Isn't that great? Well, sure. And, And they know that the ministry that was started in Ethiopia was actually started by Jesus. And, and that's why I love reading Paul's letters, because he gives us some really deep insight into kind of what he is thinking after he arrived back in Antioch and began to share everything that had happened. Then what? We see this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. See, he's writing back to a church. He planted the church in Philippi. He came, and then he had to leave. Drew, Drew asked this question last week in his message. He asked, you know, how do you, how do you go to a place, tell people to accept the gospel, knowing that this incredible difficulty is about to be set upon them, and then just go, see ya? I think the only way you could do that is knowing that the Holy Spirit had sent you and that the Holy Spirit would stay when you left. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to thank my God and all of my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I love that reminder that what the Apostle Paul was doing was creating partners who will continue the ministry long after he's gone under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And he says in this partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, And then he says in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he, that notice his direction back on God, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That that word for completion is different than the word fulfill that we see in, in Acts 14. It literally brings to bring it to maturity. And what the Apostle Paul says is, the reason why I can go is because I commend you back to the Holy Spirit. I hand you off back to the Holy Spirit. A great lesson to learn, whether you're a mom or a dad or a a friend or a preacher. And I commend you back. Knowing what? Knowing that God will be faithful in the work that he began. I, I, I think we worry too much. There's an understatement. I think we worry too much and trust God too little on the seeds that have been sown in the lives of others and how God might bring that fulfillment. Now, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying that we couldn't do a better job actively engaging and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and admonishing and encouraging them. I'm not saying that. But that's different than worrying. Yes, we should actively engage, and that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here, but he's engaging knowing that the work that the Holy Spirit began in them is going to see its way to the end when Christ returns. A starting line without a finishing line. Verse 7, and it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partners with me of of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Paul understands that it's okay to say goodbye because you're never really saying goodbye. Do you know someone that just won't say goodbye to you? I do, my mother. 
She avoids it. Hey, mom, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. You know, Charlie Brown's mom for next 20 minutes, right? Um, and then after we're done that, um, conversations getting near the end. I love you, mom, and uh, goodbye. This is her. Okay. Okay? <laughs> That's how we're... Okay, goodbye. Hey, mom. You know, it doesn't matter if like, it's in person or not. Love you, mom. Goodbye. Okay. Really? Okay? That's it? She doesn't like saying it. I don't know why. The Apostle Paul seems to be able to say it, knowing that I will hold in my heart a remembrance of you, and I know that the work that began in you, Jesus Christ will bring to the day of completion, and, and then Paul is more than willing to embrace whatever demands that will be on him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, another church that he planted. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Well, Paul, I thought you trusted everything. I did. I do trust everything to the Holy Spirit. But then there is a responsibility the Holy Spirit has given me to circle back. And so that's why I sent Timothy to you because not that I was afraid everything would be undone, but I, I know how the devil works and his work is never done and the Spirit's work is never done. And so therefore, I just wanted to circle back and make sure that I wasn't, I wasn't feeling like somehow I had wasted my time. I just care about you. That's a good reminder for the church. That we would remember those that we've gone and we've ministered to in other parts of the world. That we would remember those that we have cared for, that is, have actually experienced new life in our baptistry. They come to events that we have. Good luck. No, not good luck. Not okay. There is this ongoing active like involvement and responsibility so that every goodbye is far more of a till we see again. I, I think it's important that we remember that the church is never allowed to forget not just, it's, not just it's God or it's spirit or it's savior. But it's never allowed to forget that what the spirit of God has done and what the spirit of God has created is far more real and eternal than we understand. And that's why my wife and I have memories of people and places in which we've ministered that I just can't wait to meet again. Sometimes preachers can make too much out of, you know, the, the person who comes up and says, you know, I just, I can't wait to go be with Bob, my husband who'd passed away. I just can't wait to go be with him again. The preacher likes to point in, you mean Jesus? No, let, let, her, let her long for her husband for a moment. <laughs> Easy, Tarzan, right? Like, let's just, like, I get it. And let, let's God work out in terms of how she wants to order these things, but you do realize that the church seems to find great joy in one another. Great joy in one another. But truly, the church can never forget these things. So the last few verses, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how we opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time. This is the Apostle Paul's way of saying they stayed for a long time. 
No little time with the disciples. Yep, the devil's work is never done, but it can easily be powerfully be undone by the work of God through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to gather around this. I'm going to invite the band up to lead us in a time of worship and in a time of um, community response to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And as they come up, I want to I end with some words. I kind of apologize because I actually did get this off of um, a, a tweet this week. I, I did not know who this woman is. Hannah Greiser, Greaser. But wow. She reminded me of something that I've always wondered about and uh, it's really helpful for us to see. She writes this. Can we please stop saying that Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors? Okay, you have my attention. God incarnate did not come to chill with sinners. He hung out as a doctor hangs out with the sick. As an EMT hangs out at a crash scene. I keep hearing Christians talk as if Jesus' whole earthly mission was to bum around Middle Eastern coffee shops with misunderstood outcasts and affirm their lifestyle choices of the marginalized. But he explains exactly what he's doing, calling sinners to repentance. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is so true. What Jesus did was he understood his mission and gave himself fully to it. When the church gets that right, in moments like this of worship, wow, the devil's work can be quickly undone. May you remember that as you think about that work that has been undone in your own life as you eat and drink this morning as followers of the one who changed the world by taking upon himself our sins.